welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Yes! Thank you, big voice in the sky. This is a new week of 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Chip Patterson here, Barton Simmons there. Monday morning, we reconvene. Week six in the books. Barton, these uh, we're Octo- conference play in October gets teams every year. It is undefeated like Father Time and like sunrises and sunsets. You get into these familiar opponents and uh, and it gets dicey, man. Chip, we got a thirty point upset. Thirty on our hands. Thirty point upset. The season has officially begun. Uh, this was yeah, it was a good weekend. Got some learned a little bit about some teams. Um, conference races are starting to take shape a little bit, but we got a thirty point upset. So that that's that was that was the. That was the story of the weekend to me. Oklahoma jumps out. They were up like 21 nothing, 24-10. They scored touchdowns, or they scored. This, that was it. They scored on each of their first four possessions of the game, three touchdowns and a field goal. And in their final four possessions of the game, they could only score one touchdown. We got to talk about, so talking about the Oklahoma Sooners in this home loss. Okay, let's break it down. Step one, it was a home loss. Step two, <laughs> it was coming off a bye. And then three, the thing that is going to have the biggest impact on whether or not the Sooners are going to be able to climb back from this loss into the college football playoff race is that it was to Iowa State. I All right, so one thing that stood out to me, the giving up, letting Iowa State climb back in here, not a good look for Iowa, for Oklahoma's defense, but I thought that Oklahoma's offense, the way it sputtered down the stretch of this game, um, was was not characteristic of what we've seen from them this season. No. Um, and by the way, what, backup, quarterback, walk-on under center? Kyle like, Kemp. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's uh, there was a lot of elements to this that were, that were wild. I mean... It, what last week we were like all calling for Iowa State to maybe upset Texas at home on a Thursday night, and their offense just looked pretty pitiful. And then they come out here, and, and I think the the takeaway for me in part is that Oklahoma offensive or defensively is. I know you said you, you know you were disappointed the way their offense sputtered, but we thought I think early in the season that. This Oklahoma team was a different team defensively. Like they sort of shut down Ohio State. Um, they've been pretty dominant across the board. They found pass rushers. Their decent defensive backfield has been um, making a lot of big plays. And now all of a sudden, we you know Iowa State shows up, and they can't tackle on the perimeter. They can't get off blocks. They're you know getting can't generate pressure on the quarterback. They're they're getting. Alan Lazard's going off on him on the outside. Just a lot of reasons for me to be like, all right, well, this is sort of now we're back to just the old Oklahoma where, hey, Baker Mayfield has to be heroic and outscore people. And, you know, you, if you play that hand enough and you put yourself in that situation enough, you're going to get burned once or twice. And 
there they were uh, needing a score against Iowa State and and couldn't come up with it. So it, this was, I think, a little bit puzzling in terms of all right, now what Oklahoma do we have? What 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 is this team? Um, the team that beat Ohio State in the horseshoe, or is this the team the team that can't stop Iowa State and and, and can't get off blocks and, and uh, against bubble screens? And so it's just uh, yeah, it, it was a little bit discouraging. Yeah, and Oklahoma, I thought as great as they looked against Ohio State, an Oklahoma team that I was I was heavy on coming into the season and uh, still pretty bullish on, even when we got to you know re rack our co- college football playoff predictions. I, I thought they were going to lose. I was like, all right, you know, Oklahoma could take a loss somewhere, especially as we see TCU start to get better, the Oklahoma State game. But it's, you know, just as long as they can get to that Big 12 championship game, get a win there, then I I thought that their playoff hopes were still there. I just, I, the teams that I thought Oklahoma might take a loss to are still out there, including this week in the Red River game. And we're going to talk about Texas uh, here in just a little bit in a, uh, in a special edition of Who's Back brought to you by sponsor yet to be named. Actually, it's brought to you by SeatGeek. There you go. Um, so as we're looking at the Sooners and the rest of the schedule, like are they are they really hurting here? Like are they have they is this perhaps so far from what we've seen from college football playoff contenders, is this let's say like one of the most damning losses that we've seen so far this season? Absolutely. And but I and I think it won't matter if they went out, I mean, I don't think we'll go back and look at this Iowa State loss and be like, they can't, you can't let them in the playoffs if they have lost Iowa State, because I think there's two parts to that. One is Iowa State is is an improved team. They're they're this isn't like losing to Kansas last year, uh, you know, or, or a team of that nature. This is an Iowa State team that is a good football team. Shouldn't beat Oklahoma, but it's sort of an Ohio State to Virginia Tech type of loss. Um, like we saw a couple years ago. Now, the the reason why they can potentially respond from this, and maybe the other, <laughs> the reason why this is going to be a, a a tough one to have in your rearview mirror, because with the exception of Kansas, they could lose every other game on the rest of their schedule. I mean, not could. saying they're going to lose right. every game, but every game is losable. Texas Tech and looks good. T- Texas Tech, they got Kansas State, who's always tough, and that one's in Manhattan. Texas Tech, as you said, looks good. Oklahoma State, of course. TCU, of course. Kansas, they should win. West Virginia, they're legit. Um, so that's that's what sort of makes Oklahoma a tough team to, pe- to peg right now because now, in retrospect, they're one big win over Ohio State and a bunch of nobodies. UTEP, Tulane, Baylor, who they almost lost to, and now they lose to Iowa State. So that, suddenly... You know, we go from thinking this seems a, a favorite to be in the playoff to like this totally distorts our view of them and totally changes the lens you look at Ohio, Oklahoma through because now they've played essentially three comp, competent football teams or at least three, I guess, I mean, three power five football teams and they lost to one. They almost lost to another that ha- who's, who's winless. And they beat Ohio State in a game where they sort of got up and and uh, put all their chips forward on. So I don't know. All of a sudden, like Oklahoma doesn't doesn't look like the juggernaut we thought they are. Mm. The uh, elsewhere, the rain was pouring down, and the lock unity came through. <laughs> of course it did. That one was that that one was 
Never a doubt. That was done before it started when you got the, the, the syndicate consensus lock. <laughs> the consensus lock was like, no, sir. Uh, look, Michigan might win that game, but they're not winning by 10 points. And then Michigan State absolutely showed up uh, in this spot. Are you gonna are you gonna do that thing that uh, that sometimes happens where as we get further in the year you look back and and you put an asterisk by games that have uh, weather that significantly impacted the way it was played? Hey, weather was just as bad on the Michigan State side as it was on the Michigan side. I'm with you, man. I, I'm I get I hate when people are like, hey, well, you know, uh, if, if Hurricane Matthew hadn't come through, Mitchell Trubisky would have a higher completion percentage. Hey, right, plus- get out of here. It wasn't like it wasn't like that that the weather like disrupted an otherwise dominating performance by Michigan. Michigan State was winning when that storm hit. Yeah, and and Michigan State was win. It was it stormed and hit until what mid third quarter? Is that right? I mean, yeah. Um. So this was a game. I mean, look, Michigan State was. I mean, we saw it coming, so we can sit here and talk about this. You know in hindsight and and know that we kind of caught this but you know how could people not see this coming you know like michigan state has a outstanding track record of playing in these sort of situations where they're everyone's betting against them um it's a great style matchup they've got all these guys even maybe even more so than usual like you look on michigan state's defense you know those linebackers are good players but how many you know, they don't even really have – usually they got like maybe a first-round NFL line, NFL draft pick at the defensive line. Like there's no Shalit Calhoun, you know. There's no there's no like Darquez Denard, a mm, corner. Yeah. You know, they've got some they've got some budding stars. You know, they got the Josiah Scott kid, the true freshman at the outside. Joe Bashi was awesome at linebacker, and he's, what, a sophomore. Um, you know, they've got players, but there's no headliners really, on that defense across the board. There's no real like NFL headliners. And they just they just hunkered down and, and made plays. And uh, you just, you know, when you got a, an offense that, that doesn't take care of the football, it's going to bite you. And, and Michigan, it, it, it bit them. I mean, what, five turnovers to Five turnovers to none, to none yeah. Plus five um, for, uh, it's for kinda, Michigan When you State. look at it that way, it's kind of remarkable the game was even close. I mean, that's. I think that that's also uh, like the game probably was the game was close. Like the way it played out, I think because uh, Michigan State getting out to that lead, getting a couple turnovers. You know, it's it's really hard to run the ball against Michigan's defense in whatever weather. And yeah. that wasn't that kind of the game plan for Michigan State. Like, not that they were they weren't playing super conservatively like uh in a way that was going to hurt them that was just the smart game plan like right. they, and and look they did a pretty good job of moving the ball on the ground you know like i felt I, they only finished with 158 rushing yards for the game but i thought that there were some some big drives and some hard runs there in the closing moments where uh just just being able to pound it was was huge for that team well and i think Brian Lewerke's athletic element is is a is a little bit of a game changing presence. The fact that he can against a team like Michigan that's so dominant when you're just handing the ball off, that he can take a couple opportunities in in the drop back game and scramble for some yards. That he can 
um, you know, pull on his own read every once in a while and get to the outside. Um, I think that, that that's a kid that really provided Michigan State a, a sort of an, another outlet that they needed offensively to, to just get enough movement to, to score some points and, and get out of there with a win. Um, you know, I think that he's his development, the way he took care of the football. I mean, that that was really the difference. In a lot of ways, uh, Brian Lewerke and John O'Corn are, are the same player in terms of what their skill set is, what their ceiling is. But Lewerke just took care of the ball more efficiently and and was more sort of in control of what was going on around him. And for a younger guy, that's that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty strong testament uh john o'corn needs to be better than that all right so let's start let's start there wilton spate out for the season right yeah reportedly or have we confirmed that yet uh, I mean, on it's, Monday being, it's being reported by in a lot of places so i feel like i feel like we're safe in saying that it's safe in saying that uh that we're gonna be with we're riding the john o'corn experience for the rest of the season so before we get to michigan state here in a second so is this a damning loss for Michigan, like what are what are the lingering impacts for the Wolverines uh, in moving forward? You know, to me, it's 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 not it's not as if this isn't a loss that they can like they can recover from this loss and accomplish all their goals. I think to me, it's more damning in the sense of Oklahoma feels like a fixable situation. They still have all the horses on offense. There's you know they're still going to score points. Defensively, they're talented. You you know that they're gonna get it. You know they're gonna. You don't know, but you you know you you think there's a chance that they could continue to um, iron out some of the issues that have popped up recently. But with Michigan, when your problem is quarterback, and when you've been having issues all year long, scoring points, converting in the red zone. I think that's a that's a more that's a tougher issue to correct than what Oklahoma's issue is. And so Michigan, yeah, like I think this isn't a damning loss, but I think this is a it, this is ex, this exposes them. Um, and I am looking at the biggest cockroach in front of me right now. I got a, I got a little sidetracked. Uh, that's disgusting. All right. Um, so so. So I think that Michigan is is a team that's that's got bigger issues than than Oklahoma. I think it's going to be tough to correct them. I think it's t- going to be tougher than to beat a Penn State and Ohio State team with what they've got going on on offense. Ah, man. See, all right, I want to zoom out a little bit more. I think that if we're looking at Michigan, this is maybe like this wasn't Michigan's year supposed to be next year? Yes. You know, like this, yes. this, this yeah. is a, this is a game where like, all right, you know, we were, we were really hyped about Michigan and really hyped about Michigan's defense, but you know, this was a, this is a Michigan state team that has uh, the edge in this rivalry. And I think that as we, you know, play out the rest of the Wolverine season, you know, if they're about a nine or 10 win team at the end of the year, then that's probably about where, uh, it's probably about where they we were expecting with them to be if this was going to be a group where that's suiting up for 2018 as the year to take the Big Ten. Yeah, I think that's a, that's actually a, I think a, a good point. I think that's a that's something Michigan fans need to sort of keep in perspective. Um, the only the only caveat to that is that look, next year 
<clears throat> nothing's going to be different at the quarterback position. Wilton Spate's going to be back as potentially your quarterback. John O'Corn is gone. Is, is Brandon, are you going to feel better? I mean, I think their offense is going to be better around him just by natural progression of things. But at some point, you got to get this fixed. I mean, Wilton Spate wasn't any good last year. He's not any good this year. He won't be any good next year. Is Brandon Peters, are you going to ever give Brandon Peters a chance to take this job? Um, I'll be interested in that. Now, all of a sudden, Brandon Peters is the next man up. And if John O'Corn gets injured, I mean, Brandon Peters looked great in the spring game. And for whatever reason, maybe he hasn't clicked with Harbaugh quite like the others. But if I mean, if you think now, he's a, he's a, he's the probably like from your view, like rating him and scouting him, is he the most talented quarterback in that room? No question. There's yeah. no question about it. And so I'll be interested to see whether he has an opportunity this year, whether it's due to injury, whether it's due to just you know O'Corn struggling whether that their hand is forced to give Brandon Peters some snaps and, and whether he ever gives a job back if he gets that opportunity. That's to, that is, to me, sort of the next underlying storyline here is just – because, again, now, now you got to look long-term. You know, I think you're, you're skeptical they're going to get to the playoffs now, but now you look long-term and next year is the year anyways. But how do they solve quarterback? Is Michigan State back? <laughs> I mean, the, Michigan State never really left us. Is what we we probably should have understood. Like, what's a what's a three win season when this is a and and all their games were close games last year for the most part. Um, yeah, they're back because that looked like every that looked like a Michigan State team that looked like everything Michigan State's supposed to be. So, is you know. Is is eight and four back for Michigan State? Yeah, I guess it probably is. Um, you know, they lost their in the offseason, They lost basically all their high profile players. They lost their their their. I think four, this is four yeah, star yeah, and and like and they lost them to like a really potentially program crippling and not program crippling in a like I don't know. I just I, I think we I talked about it before the season. I I really feel like. Uh, D'Antonio, someone who's big on like all of his, uh, you know, the, the way he builds his program, the, the young men that he tries to recruit and the standards that he holds, you know, he's, he's a very, uh, he's firm in his values. You know, he's, he's one of those coaches. Uh, every coach says they are, but I, I, f- I feel like from listening to D'Antonio and from hearing him speak at lectures that, uh, you know, this, like having that, happen like losing your top recruits and losing them within this big uh sexual assault case that included one of your own staffers like I thought that that was one of those things that kind of shook them a little bit uh and to to respond here and you look forward like I think they'll lose to Penn State I think they'll lose to Ohio State and they might take one more loss somewhere but like you said that's that's eight and four that's bad yeah yeah, they're you know, I think D'Antonio prides himself in that program on being sort of building strong culture, and and this off season it looked like the culture was was uh, getting chipped away at. I guess it was being things were, it, it was, was on it was eroding. It, yeah, it was on shaky know? ground or something. Yeah, yeah eroding. things that were not used to happening in Michigan State, uh, you know, were were happening, and 
so I think that in that sense, like we came into this season with a lot of questions and can can they respond? Can they recover? How quickly can you can you regain control and regain a, a firm grip on your culture? And feels like they've feel like they've got it again. It, it just does. And I will see. But I think you know, that's an easy game to get up for. But it feels like they've got a grip on their culture again. And um, Michigan State's going to be a tough out for people. And by the way, how much better? Again, this is another game later in the season that makes Notre Dame look like a, le- a legit team. Ooh. You know, mm-hmm. Look at how Georgia's playing. All of a sudden, that loss looks pretty good. You look at how Michigan State's playing. All of a sudden, that dominating win looks pretty good. Notre Dame, watch out. That's a little bit of a aside. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think Michigan State is – is. Uh, you know, pr- pretty pretty back right now. No- Notre Dame just just disrespectful. Uh, yeah, hey, hey, Brandon, uh, Brandon, we just want to keep you healthy. Um, we're just going to be able to trot <laughs> book out there and just run the ball right at North Carolina and win by twenty three. I know, right? <laughs> those, they just run those backs just right downhill at you, man. Yeah, just they're just going to open up holes with those big old offensive linemen and just run right right downhill and. Uh, there's not a lot of cutting. There's not a lot of nope. juking. There's just uh, there's a hole, and I'm gonna. It's just a big hole. I'm gonna get through it, and then I'm gonna outrun everybody. Um, it, it's yeah. North Carolina never really had quite a quite a chance there. Oh my goodness! All right. Guess who's back? Back, back, back again. The you. <laughs> Miami back. All the way back, right? So, the here's here's what I love about Miami being back. So, they come out there on that last play of the game. Malik Rozier, you know, he, he I don't know if you saw this. The commentator actually sort of pointed to it, but he he was like getting the crowd up, like in Tallahassee. He was like waving his arms, like like getting asking for more noise from the crowd, basically being like, "Here we go!" Like. Give me your best shot, Florida State fans, because I'm coming at you. And then he just throws a dime for a touchdown. All right. So the when when the U is back, it's about having the swagger back. And so they got they got the gold rope chain for the turnover prize. They got a quarterback calling out the the opposing opposing fans before he hits a a game winning touchdown pass. And then after the game. They start dancing on the Florida State logo, and Mark Rick comes out there and says, "Ain't happening, you know. We're not, we're not pulling this." And it's sort of like it's a great balance. Like now, all of a sudden, they've got the swagger back, but they've got like a coach that's going to control the swagger. It's the best of both worlds. Miami goes to Florida State, they win, and and all the signs of a Miami team re-emerging are there i think that they're back now mark walton's out for the season yeah, it looks like yeah, yeah yeah that's a that's a <laughs> huge development here uh, you know there's a big like you know let down opportunity against georgia tech um but for now i'm just gonna i'm just gonna live this up and enjoy the you being back i i so this i this was a really cheesy uh so sometimes uh, you know, we're supposed to be advancing the, the culture of, of sports writing. And, and sometimes you just can't help but like, right, just, just, just fall back into some, some familiar paths that have been, have been paved before you. Because uh, 
I I felt like I hit the not so fast button on this one because, but I think it's I think it's worth pointing out because it's a good thing. I don't think Miami is back because there's still, like you mentioned, the Georgia Tech game. There's still a lot of spots between Miami and even getting like to the ACC championship. Like they've never played in the ACC championship game, and yeah. like back for me is competing for national championships. Back for me is you know, seven straight years of not finishing lower than sixth in the AP poll. Like, I I think there's still more stepping stones before we really get to back. But that Miami-Florida State rivalry is absolutely back. Yeah. Like that, and, and to get that rivalry, like that is one of college football's greatest rivalries of all time. And to get that rivalry back after it had been so one-sided. Like, Mark Rick versus Jimbo Fisher's one-to-one. And the two games have come down to a blocked extra point and a, a last second touchdown pass. Like this, like though that all of a sudden becomes uh, one of those games that we circle every single year, not just because it's obligatory, not just because you're like, oh man, a lot of Miami and Florida State fans are going to care about this, but because the entire country is going to be like, oh yes, Miami and Florida State. And to get that rivalry back, that fires me up. Yeah, I mean, seven straight wins before this went Florida State over Miami, but now, and so now Florida State's still seven and one over, or Miami's still, yes, Florida State's still seven and one over Miami, but Miami's one and one with Mark Rick. Right. And so I think that changes everything. I do agree with you. I mean, I, this feels like I'm, I'm excited about where Miami is, and yet I, I, I know that there, there's going to be a game later this year where we like revisit this and say, oh, yeah, they, there, there it is. You know, they lost to Georgia Pittsburgh. Tech or they lost Pittsburgh. to Wake or whoever, you know, whoever they, I don't even know if Wake's on their schedule. But, um, you know, I think that's, that's, that's going to happen. I, I don't expect them to, hear, to, to run the table now. Um, but I do think that when you add in the fact that they're recruiting at a really high level, fourth in the country right now in the, in the team recruiting rankings of 24 seven sports. And you add in the fact that this team is, a, is a, has a young foundation. Uh, I do think you can, you don't have to temper this a ton. Like I think you could, I think college football can be excited about the direction of Miami and you're right. They like, this doesn't, this win does not mean Miami is back but I think we are on the way to back uh, and I think we're going to get there really quickly it's steps man there's levels to this that's right Guess who's back? Back, back, back again. Texas <laughs> have we have we found something here is is this rolling in a in a direction because I'll tell you what uh, you know, we, we put them in here because it, it sort of fits thematically with a couple other teams we want to talk about, but we're going to spend some time the rest of the week looking ahead to the Red River and boy, that would, that, that would be a back, a back, that would be a back builder, right? Yeah. Builder <laughs> towards back. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think before the season, if, if you had said Texas beats Kansas state and double overtime, then I don't know that anybody would be sitting hollering their back you know I think this is this is a game that they're they should win as they take steps towards in the right direction on the right path um, 
to me, the thing that's more encouraging about Texas isn't just that they won the game because, again, I don't, I don't think Kansas – you know, this is the same Kansas State team that, beat to, that lost to Vanderbilt. So let's not get go overboard on what they are. But what, what I think is exciting about Texas is how they did it, how they're doing it. They are playing really hard on defense. Oh, man, living up to the billing of all of their recruiting rankings. Yeah, and, and, and not only – not only like living up to the billing from a talent perspective, but they're actually like they're finally playing hard. Like they're running and they're hitting and they're getting after it. And I think that's been the problem as much as anything is just sort of where is the where is the sort of culture, where is the toughness and and nastiness out of this this program? And so they're starting to get that back. And then the other big factor for me is. Sam Ellinger, quarterback, is – I don't know that we're ever going to see him on a 53-man roster in the NFL, but he is everything Texas fans love to have. Grit. Want to have. He's gritty. He's He's got moxie. He's, uh, he's tough and physical, and he'll run a linebacker over. And he's – I think – I think he is the answer at quarterback – and I think Tex, he's going to be like, he's going to go down in Colt McCoy, Major Applewhite type of, of fame in terms of just a guy that's just a, you know, Austin Westlake, Texas gunslinger, tough kid. Just a, he's just going to be everything. He's going to be a great face of that program in terms of being what you want the team to be on the field. And so um, I, I really am excited about what Texas looks like. With him, I think Shane Bichel's. I think Shane Bichel's out of a job. I think he's another guy that's getting that's just going to get phased out because. I think he Bichel was a great fit in Sterling Gilbert's offense, and, and and I think Sam Ellinger is a better fit in Tom Herman's offense. Three hundred and eighty yards passing, a hundred and seven yards rushing, um, fifty pass attempts. What ended up being twenty rush attempts, and of course, remember. Sacks and such sometimes skew those a little bit. Uh, he's he's got those those he's got that Greg Ward Jr. workload, you know. And if he can yeah. stay healthy, and certainly Sam Ellinger has a body that can sustain hits better than Greg Ward could, um, then and you, certainly better than Shane Bichel can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this this looks pretty. It's it's shaping up to be something that's uh, that that's working out pretty well for the Longhorns. I I, I I'm like you. I'm trying to like part of me wants to slow my roll a little bit because I'm not quite sure where Kansas State is, but just even being being able to carve up uh, a Kansas State defense, I think, is something that's worth noticing and something that's especially worth taking note of. Uh, Texas two and zero in conference play. How about this? Over under the Texas Longhorns six and a half conference wins this season. That would give um seven and two or six and three basically. So that means they need so Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU, Kansas, West Virginia, Texas. Uh, see, I don't know. That's that's tough. It's so tough because that just like Oklahoma, the only the only conference games they have behind them are Iowa State and Kansas State. They got to play Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, TCU, West Virginia, Texas Tech. I mean, the Big Twelve is brutal this year. Yeah, it really is. I tried to warn people before the season. This is not this, this conference isn't something to mess with, but 
it's yeah I, I think it's gonna be tough I think it's gonna be tough I think um, as good as they are I don't I don't think they think they beat TCU uh, and I don't think they beat both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State um, yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting um, I'm gonna go under I think I think that with in their seven remaining, I think in their seven remaining games against conference opponents, they'll go four and three. Yeah, that feels uh, that feels right. Yeah, I mean that's it's, it's going to be four four and three or five and two, um, and uh, and either one is if they just what looks like now with Texas is at the very least they're going to do it in a competitive way. Like they're gonna be, they're gonna look like a football team every time they go out there. You better be ready. Texas is a football team, you know. You, Kansas, Kansas better not hold out any hopes for an upset. Like this is, this team is well coached, and that's another thing that that I really liked about what I saw from Texas is, I mean, it's just clear that Tom Herman has a great grasp on play design and play calling and. There's just they they schemed up some great opportunities for them. Uh, I mean, even on that first play of the game, there was an interception. Like Sam Ellinger puts a little bit more more juice on that ball. That, that's a first play touchdown. And it's just they, there's a lot of those plays in there that Texas can you know can that gives them an opportunity to really be successful. So I, I think this this program, if if I'm a Texas fan, I'm feeling outstanding about the direction of my football program. I'm just, I, I just, you know, you just can't say they're back yet. Before we get, we got a couple more that we got to judge their backness. But speaking of Texas, uh, with that Red River game coming up, if you've never been, if you've never gotten a chance to head down to the Texas State Fair, there might be an opportunity for you to get tickets. And if you are trying to get on that opportunity, then you, you can't use anybody else but SeatGeek because buying tickets to the big sporting events can often be complicated. Uh, there are several ticket sites, and SeatGeek actually searches all of those ticket sites to compare prices and find you amazing deals. So check this out. Listeners of the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast can get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code 247 today. That's promo code 247 for $20 off your SeatGeek purchase. They make sure that you get the most bang for your buck by grading every ticket based on value so that you can immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. And you don't have to sweat about getting counterfeits or anything else because every purchase is fully guaranteed. You can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And listen, it could work for the Red River game. Uh, it could work for concerts. It could work for theater. Anything that you want. Uh, make SeatGeek the go-to app to find the best deals on every type of ticket. Just download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code 24-7. You get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's promo code 24-7 for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Guess who's back? Well, I, I'll tell you which horse will fight. <laughs> Dude, LSU, big win. That's a big win. That's a that, big win. Uh, but certainly they're not back. <laughs> right? right? Like, yeah, definitely not. This is, we're, we're in this world right now where you beating Florida doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't give you much of a street cred. I mean, um, a 17-16 win. 
on the heels of a uh, missed extra point, you know, that's you'll take it. You'll take any win you can get right now if you're LSU, but uh, you are not back. I will say this about the LSU game. I thought that like any any sort of like grumblings about Matt Canada early this year, I think are misplaced. I, I still think that that dude is the real deal as an offensive coordinator. Um, just the way he sort of schemes up like extra yardage, um, the way he just takes yardage that the defense gives him just by alignment, um, the way he puts the defense in a bind, it's so fun to watch. So much and, fun. And I think that's that's one thing that's sort of been eye-opening to me about this Matt Canada experience is that LSU doesn't have as many playmakers on offense as I think like we assumed they did. Because this offense like allows playmakers to make plays. And, you know, DJ Shark will make one here and there. You know, they'll – Russell Gage will, will have a big play here and there. But, like, the, you look at this offense, and if Darius Geis is not healthy, which he's not. Oh, he doesn't look right at all. Then, then who is your – who is your dude? Like, who is your guy that's – who's your guy who, – what guy on that offense is playing in the NFL? Other than and and uh, an in, like Darius Geis in his current form does not look like an NFL back. He is like he's a first round back when he's healthy, but he's not right now. So who on this offense is your Odell Beckham, your Jarvis Landry, your Leonard Fournette? I mean, they're, they've they're your Jeremy Hill. Like they've got all these skill guys every year that are just you know freaks that we always talk about how they're underutilized. Well, now it's almost like they got a guy that can utilize them and. And there's the kid. The dudes just aren't there this year. Oh, and so, if we're going to include that, we got to include the quarterback position because yeah. I mean, you're watching you're watching these plays, uh, like some of those Danny Etling keepers. I was like, man, that was a great play call. That wasn't Danny <laughs> Etling. <laughs> yeah. Think about what could have happened. Yeah, yeah, and I and like, yeah, and Danny Etling is still like good enough to operate this offense and have it be really successful. I think he's just not going to be the reason it's really successful. Um, I mean, it's Derek, it's Derek Dillon, right? Is that somebody yeah. who's got, who like people think could be good down the line? Because I think that like DJ Chark's been there forever, right? This is like, I think he's a senior. I think Gage is a senior and they're fine, but yeah, they're, uh, they, they, they are not the, you're right. They are not NFL skill position players. And even when LSU has been at its most pro style I form, you've always had uh, you've always had at least like one like super X receiver, one you know one or two future NFL a Russell Shepard. Like you've always had future. Yeah, you always have some guy out there that everyone's talking about how they if, if only they had a quarterback, right? Or if only if only they had an offense that would throw the ball. And they've got a couple young guys, but I. I kind of wonder, like, whether they've been hitting on the right guys at receiver lately. I just don't uh, in the recruiting process. Like, you know, I don't know. These guys are. I, I feel like they're they're a little bit thinner in that position room than they've been in the past. And the other thing about this offense that it features all these fullbacks and tight ends and H backs, and I don't know that any of those guys are are big time players. Like, if they had if they had sort of found themselves a. a star 
tight end somewhere along the way, you know, th- this offense would be great for that kind of player to get to get like a shuffle pass here and there, or like a, um, you know, to get. A, I mean, they to bust up the seam and just like crush a defense for uh, you know, thirty four yard touchdown. Yeah, I mean, this is a great offense to find some mismatches with those guys, and and I don't see that guy on this roster either. So. Um, you know, I wonder if this is the type of offense that now, now they need to start recruiting some H back, like some, you're really focusing on tight end position and maybe that opens things up for this offense. But, um, I don't want to make excuses for the offense. I guess what I'm saying is this just, it still doesn't look like an LSU football team. It just doesn't look like it, it has the, the, the horsepower of a, of a typical LSU football team. What about defensively? Were you, uh, were you pleased with what you saw from uh, an LSU defense that had kind of gotten pushed around? Uh, even against Troy, they got pushed around against Mississippi State uh, and the way they played against Florida? Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they looked better. They looked, I mean, I think Rashard Lawrence being in there yeah. helps. Um, the big defensive tackle. <clears throat> and I think that Dave Aranda's too good not to have them improving as the year progresses. But, you know, what's star- startling to me is just, man, Arden Key's stock is dropping. You know, he's just not – he didn't flash like he used to. And I think everyone's been joking like he's overweight and that's something he's going to have to – I mean, he it used to be this thing like, man, how does this 230-pound edge guy – you know, he's unblockable, but is he big enough? And now it's like, man, let's go back to that those days where you're just you're, – you're so skinny, but you're you're just too fast for everybody. So I think they're, they're missing some playmakers on defense, but I, I'm not convinced that won't show up. I think that I think that could that could get there with as much young guys as they're playing. Uh, I think they'll be all right on defense. Yeah, Gary, um, LSU decidedly not back. Guess who's back? Back, back, back again. After going twelve and one and eleven and two in two thousand fourteen and two thousand fifteen, uh, a little bit of step off last year. Six and seven for the TCU Horn Frogs, but is TCU back? Are they are they back here in the thick of the the Big Twelve title race? Like, are you buying their backness as being able to finish potentially in the top ten for I guess what would be the sixth time in the last decade under Gary Patterson? Absolutely, <clears throat> I, this is they got one of the better early resumes out there. With uh, I mean, Arkansas is no good, but they they handled them easily. They they handled a, a pretty good group of five SMU team easily, beat Oklahoma State on the road, beat a really good West Virginia team that is is because West Virginia lost. <clears throat> you know people are still gonna have, <clears throat> they're they're still not gonna get the respect I think that they deserve. But West Virginia is a really good team. They've lost to Virginia Tech and TCU, both are probably top ten teams or or, or very West, well. West maybe. Virginia is good. they West Virginia is a very good team. Like that's a. Like Justin Crawford's phenomenal. Tony Gibson's got the defense playing well. Like I, I thought West Virginia played very, very well in this game, and like they, they just needed a, they needed one, they needed Kenny Hill to play uh, a mis- Like they needed a couple more Kenny yeah, Hill hey, mistakes. We, we talked about Kenny Hill. Like we, we're always talking about Kenny Hill, and like I don't know, Kenny Hill's gonna, the the, the old Kenny Hill's gonna rear his head eventually. He's gonna make those mistakes. And, nah, this is great. Yeah, he he. He did what he had to do. Um, I, 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 you know what I like about TCU? I like that in when you look at across their resume, um, I feel like they've won different ball games. 
Like the Arkansas game had a very different feel to the way that uh, it unfolded in the kind of game they needed to play than SMU, which was yeah. like SMU was like 28, 28. That game was, you know, quickly got out of hand and then TCU was able to just hit the gas pedal and run away from them. You know, Oklahoma state, that was a game where TCU got a big lead and then they had to defend it as Oklahoma State started marching back. And then the West Virginia game is close right down until the very end, a back and forth game where, you know, it's always up in the air. And then to be able to out execute your opponent, like I feel like we're watching this TCU team win in a lot of ways. And that just has me thinking that. Um, it just gives me more confidence, particularly as we're looking across a big 12 where, uh, I, I don't know. I hope this isn't like too much of a stretch here, but you know, Oklahoma and Oklahoma state, they're not one trick ponies, but they certainly, when things don't go right, like, I don't, I don't know what their plan B is. And I don't know if their plan B is going to work as well. I feel like this TCU is just built to be able to grind out. Uh, games against any type of opponent yeah i mean tcu is a potential playoff team and i know that's an obvious statement right now given where they're ranked but like i don't think people realize i don't think people are are grasping that like this is not they may be in the playoffs like this is they're probably going to be in the playoffs like this is if you if you're making the playoffs today they're in like i think that tcu is built to be in the playoffs like they are they've got a really good defense and they're really well coached they got a great offensive line they've got a they've got an offense that can can play power football and can play you know wide open football like you mentioned like they got a tough road uh, as well i mean they got oklahoma and texas and texas tech but this tcu team i think is 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 a lot more legit than i feel like they get credit for and maybe that's just me. Maybe they're getting plenty of credit. But, um, like, I, I really like this TCU team. And I think if I'm, like, not just if – if I'm predicting what the playoff four is going to be, I don't know. Like, I, I, I kind of lean towards having T, TCU as one of the four just because when you look at the rest of the big – like Oklahoma. And Oklahoma, for instance, they're as good as they are. We know, like, they've got their – Hey, they could give up forty one night and just and get outscored, which they did. That's what that's what happened. That's what almost happened to Baylor. As good as Oklahoma State is, like we, you know, we had doubts about their defense, and sure enough, they couldn't stop TCU. Um, TCU is not one of those teams that's got this like glaring hole. Like they're just a, they're they're the type of rounded, well balanced football team that that can win those big, important, critical games. And so, yeah, TCU is, is, uh, TCU is definitely back. Throw in Arizona on the list. <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah. Uh, Arizona is not back because they just beat, Colorado and Colorado Colorado might be good. bad. It might be bad. But here's here's why Arizona is worth including on the list. Um what, they won 3 games last year, they've already matched that this year. Their two losses, uh a one-score loss to Utah, one-score loss to Houston, two solid teams. But the biggest reason why Arizona could potentially be back 
and maybe more less Arizona and more Rich Rodriguez is Khalil Tate. Oh. <laughs> the, the, I, think, I guess he's a redshirt freshman now. Um, 14, car- 14 carries, 327 yards, and he you know, tossed in a couple, you know, 100, 100 change at throwing the football. Um, just, you know, when Rich Rodriguez has that kind of a talent under center, you know, look at Pat White. Look at, you know, you will go to, if you want to go to Nard Robinson, you know, we'll throw him in there. But I, I think Khalil Tate <clears throat> makes this suddenly the type of offense that everyone needs to be scared of. Like, I don't care if you're USC or Stanford or Utah going in there. I mean, Utah played, but I mean, this, this, every team, I don't care how good your defense is, man, if you got that kind of a talented quarterback and that kind of an offense, it's scary. And so <clears throat> I think Arizona, for the first time in a while, I think Khalil Tate gives them something. And not look, I know Brandon Dawkins is athletic too, but this Khalil Tate kid, and I remember from high school, he was a, he was a young senior. He was like a 17-year-old senior, 16 or 17-year-old senior. He's, he's a, so he's probably a 18 or 19-year-old sophomore. And he is as athletic as they come. He had major offers, but he wanted to play quarterback. And, I mean, he's just a great fit in that system. And I think if Arizona can, can ride this, this comet a little bit, they're, they're, they're not going to be all the way back, but they're going to upset somebody. Touchdown runs of 58, 28, 47, 75 yards. The dude can burn it now. <laughs> and, and Colorado may not be a great team, but they're, they're at least sound defensively. Like, you – you trust Colorado to be at least like in the right place, like not just not just inept defensively, and not the type of team that gives up runs like that on the regular. It was uh, like the the it just takes the air out of you because because uh, the the seventy five and the fifty eight yard run were the first play of the drive. Like <laughs> just oh yeah, yeah yeah no we've we've already like somebody up in the booth. Was like no 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 this is good, this is, we, trust me just run this. <laughs> now if, if, if this if this holds the, then the big question is where the like where the hell has this kid been like Rich Coach like what how did you screw this up and not have this guy playing all along so that that's the that's the only um, you know caveat here is like if this continues to to head in this direction then you kind of get some blame for not having this guy in the field before. Um. All right. Let's see. We got all right this is uh this is another uh section because in, it's not total backness but i think that these are two teams we're talking about that have rebounded so check the tape mr producer which would be me but barton simmons has said multiple times on this show i think stanford's going to be 10 and 2 and be the most dangerous bowl team that you play that's a good win going into uh, Salt Lake City and beating and beating Utah. It took you know like Bryce Love held in check for a little bit, but you cannot hold him in check forever. He's going to get that long touchdown run at some point. What'd you think about the Cardinal? I mean, like we've we had um, we we had this Utah offense sort of pegged as like 
you know, it's taken a step forward and they, they've done a good job against lesser opponents. But this was a, a spot where I thought Stanford's defense, you know, played all right. You think Stanford is going to be able to, and again, like I was, I was telling you before the show, they're undefeated in Pac-12 play. Do you think that Stanford could take down Washington, get a get the conference wins they need to be able to win the North and suddenly be playing for the Pac-12 championship in early December? Oh, yeah. Stanford could win every game on their schedule. That, the one thing that I'm – the reason I'm not fully on the Stanford train yet – or, I mean, I, you know I've been on it. But the reason I can't – like, I still have questions and I'm still a little nervous about just diving headfirst in the deep end is I – part of my – bullish nature on Stanford was around like okay maybe they found KJ Costello to be their guy at quarterback oh yeah and, and I'm not. just a little bit worried like why why are we still splitting reps between KJ Costello and and, and Keller Christ and you know even if KJ Costello isn't the guy then all right maybe like let's just go with Keller Christ then like I, I I'm I'm a little perplexed by this I, I to me KJ Costello looks like he's got the the tools and he's got the the stuff and he's gonna get better if you just give him more reps and he's a little bit more athletic than Keller Chris gives you some more versatility on offense so let's just go with him and I don't know there's just a lot of weird quarterback like situations around college football this year and this is to me is one of them um just feels like KJ Costello should be the guy and the fact that he's not makes me just I they're going to get tripped up somewhere because of quarterback now is sort of way, uh, the way I'm thinking. So I'm almost – as much as I like that win for them and it's a tough spot, until they, until they settle on a quarterback, it's hard for me to get all the way behind them. So they're not going to go undefeated in conference play? I, they may go undefeated in conference play. I think the, the toughest game left for them is – Notre well, Dame? I mean, Notre Dame, and then obviously they have Washington too. So, I mean, it's about – that Washington game is a Friday night at home. But I mean, those are. I think they'll win every game, but those two, and they might win those two. They might lose those two. I'm sort of. Those are the ones where, like, I want to see whether they get quarterback squared away, and and then and then I'll sort of pass my judgment on what happens in those two games. Auburn continuing to check every box that we want to see. Carry on, Johnson, out of control. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. But that was like my lock of the century this year, this week. Oh, and so you're uh, salty about it because Ole Miss came back in through the back it, door. <laughs> I mean, come on, Auburn. Like, that, that's the – so now I know the difference between Auburn and Alabama is when Auburn puts in their backups, it, it's, there, there's, still some, uh, there's still some opportunity for the opponents to eat. Alabama puts in their backups, it's like that's when you know, they turn it up a notch. Um, so I was disappointed in Auburn letting Ole Miss get that backdoor cover. And Ole Miss, I guess, did not quit on the season. They're, shoot, they're going for two down by 20 at the end of the game. Um, so credit to Ole Miss for proving me wrong and fighting through that one and getting a backdoor cover. But no, I think Auburn is uh, – yeah, I've I felt like Auburn really probably since Missouri when they blew up and Kerryon Johnson had all those yards rushing, I felt like that's – I just have felt like they're a different team with Kerryon Johnson in the backfield. And they continue to, to look like that. Their defense is still really good. Um, you know, everybody, it goes back to all the panic around the Plains when they lost to Clemson. Shoot, you lose maybe the best team in the country by one score. Um, 
it's, it might be ugly, but it's still one score. They've got uh, three road games and one bye week in their next four weeks at LSU, at Arkansas, bye week at Texas A&M before the thrilling conclusion that will include getting both Georgia and Alabama at home. Do you think that when they kick it off against Georgia, they will still only have that one loss to Clemson? Yeah. Man. God, such a bizarre time in the SEC right now. Like you, 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 you list off that schedule and I'm like, you, got, you, yeah, would, that's a, you would think you would get tripped up once, like in traditional SEC fashion. Traditionally, yeah, but now you look at it and you're just like, yeah, of course. I mean, A&M is – they continue to impress me every week. But uh, aside from A&M, I mean, there's no way Auburn's going to lose to LSU or Arkansas. How about Arkansas's loss at South Carolina? Yo. But they had like – they gave it like three three uh, defensive scores. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's – I mean, next year could be a could be a uh, important one for for Brett Bielema. No, nobody had nobody tweeting hashtag karma out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but Auburn. Yeah. All right, so Auburn even staring down that schedule, feeling good about it. Yeah, man, that schedule doesn't that, that schedule doesn't scare me. Like, does it scare you? Like, what we just sat here, we looked at LSU. At Texas A&M off the bye week with Georgia coming up just seems trappy as can be. Yes. That's a tough game. That's and a- I mean, well, so, yeah, you didn't throw – so did we talk Georgia? I mean, I mean, that's – that is – I guess I forgot they're on the schedule. Did you mention them? Because that's a – certainly is going to be a – I mean, that's a battle there. That's a war. Yeah, no, the, it was – are they going to show up to the Georgia game with just – Oh, I got you. Yeah, okay, just okay. – because, yeah, yeah. I mean – that's that's like the other element here is uh, the Georgia game is just massive in a whole bunch of ways, but that'll like that will be just I can, I'm saving that chapter, you know. Like I'm like, all right, the fact that we're gonna get Auburn, Georgia, and then Auburn, Alabama, and then maybe Alabama, Georgia the next week. Like, who do you, th- I, who do you think's the better team right now, Auburn or Georgia? Like that, not don't predict the winner of that game. I'm saying, like right now, based on what you've seen so far, who do you think looks like the better team today? Georgia. Yeah, I agree. I think Georgia does too. Yeah. Um, and I and you know what, with uh, the way that the matchup goes, I think I might favor Georgia. I don't know if they were going to win in Jordan Hare in this massive game. You know, like there's there's certainly a lot of extraneous factors to be taken into consideration, but me, those. The those Georgia linebackers can hold the edge, man. Yeah, I think they'll be, I think they'll be flying around, and I think that that game, uh, that that Auburn Georgia game just screams of like twenty one nineteen. Oh yeah, that's gonna be uh, that's a slobber knocker. Like that's a, gonna be like missed tackle ends up leading to touchdowns because they're everything else is just gonna be hat on a hat. Yeah, that's the snot bubble game right there. Snot bubbles. <laughs> um, all right, elsewhere, Ohio State keeps plastering opponents. Uh, I don't want to throw an Ohio State back sound drop. No, I on think there. yeah, but that's a fair, that is absolutely something we should discuss. Yeah, you go. What what like do you think that sh- should we take anything from what Ohio State is currently doing? Benjamin Victor. I think Benjamin Victor's playing really well at wide receiver. 
And I think that changes how good they can be in the red zone. That's that's I mean, they, they need receivers to step up. I, I mean, that's what like what we knew this was coming. Like we knew that over the course of this stretch, Ohio State was going to absolutely destroy teams. And we knew that there was going to be a narrative that Ohio State's found the rhythm. And that narrative may be true. Um, but I don't, you know, so I guess, and I think the emergence and the ability of, a, of an outside receiving threat to emerge is important. And and that's, if, if Benjamin Victor can be that guy, then that's, that's I think, is not insignificant. Um but I'm not going to believe it with Ohio State until I see JT Barrett beat somebody that's got a really good defense. I just I'm not, and and not only beat someone but like play well. Like I, I want JT Barrett. Like last year, like Ohio State beat Michigan, but it wasn't necessarily because JT Barrett was like an effective downfield passer. Like I want to see JT Barrett make some plays down the field for Ohio State to be a playoff, you know, national title contender again. Because that's. Uh, Every Ohio State conversation is framed around that. Like, yes, Ohio State is good. They're they're they are all the way good. But are they national title good? That that's what every Ohio State conversation has to be around. So, I still need to see JT Barrett do it against a good defense where he's throwing the ball beyond eight yards. Yeah, I. Mm. Well, I mean, all right. So we got at Nebraska. Week off, and then the then that just Penn State, Iowa, Michigan State. That run is going to be that that run will reveal them. It's fun that Michigan State is making this interesting again. Like Michigan State is adding a a, a, diff, a new data point in the Big Ten that we didn't necessarily know that we were going to have. I agree. Like now all of a sudden, Michigan State is is a, is a game that you circle, and and that's I think that's exciting. I think. See, all right. So with their crossing routes with you know with Paris Campbell with J.K. Dobbins with just throwing little screens and putting players in space I feel like Ohio State can move the ball in the middle of the field and that's where like I felt like in the in the red zone and in you know close as you got closer to the goal line you were just getting a lot of more J.T. Barrett keepers you know J.T. Barrett keepers that were going for three yards or getting stonewalled and that's and that's where I'm seeing Victor, 6'4 frame, sophomore, like slowly working his way in. That's where I could see him starting to be someone who can add another dimension to this offense. Yeah. Yeah, they need it. I mean, and he's and they've got some highly highly regarded receivers and and uh Benjamin Victor was one of my favorites in his class. Big, long, lanky, skinny, but twitched up kid. Uh I I'd, I'd love to see him break out. Um all right. Before we get out of here, let's see. Uh, okay. First, Washington is absolutely turned into a talking point. I hate that I feel like the media has become part of this narrative here because while they while ESPN is putting cupcakes on the field and while Kirk Herbstreet is lecturing Chris Peterson and Chris Peterson is firing back and Larry, you know Larry Scott's up in the booth talking about scheduling and TV windows. I'm, I'm seeing Washington start to look very much playoff ready. 
see, that's the thing about Washington's like everyone knocks their schedule and how bad their schedule is. But it it works for them. Like this is what they this is what they did last year. This is what they're doing this year. Like you remember how bad they looked against Rutgers? Yes. Just just looked so pedestrian. And and they used this early easy slate of games to find this rhythm and get on this roll. And by the time they get to the the meat of their schedule where they're actually playing teams that are capable of beating them, they're they 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 found this like groove and it's slowly like it, it's such a the schedule's crazy when you look at it. it just like eases up like Oregon State worst team in the Pac-12 then they play Cal a bad team in the Pac-12 but decent then they play Arizona State actually got a little bit of danger there UCLA okay now we got a football team Oregon all right Stanford Utah Washington State so like all those it's a backloaded schedule but because of the way they've they've sort of progressed to it like it's a it sets up perfectly for them and now all of a sudden you know hey maybe they're low in the rankings in most people in most people's polls or most people's votes but they they've got like five straight weeks to like be in your in the national consciousness and and prove it and when you when you do it week after week over the final sort of in the in the important stretch of the season then people are thinking about you and know about you and, and so I, all that to say is Hey, Chris Peterson can complain about kickoff time all he wants, but he's got this cupcake schedule. No one wants to watch them play at Montana anyways. It's It works. You're going to be in the playoffs as long as you take care of business, and uh, it, none of that will matter. Hey, just, bro, nobody watched Boise State's regular season games anyway. Like, let's like, just right. you show up for the big Keep ones. Keep on operating in the shadows. Yeah, buddy. dude, this is good for Chris Peterson. This is the, this yeah. is, is what that uh, what he should want. Um, it, I mean, like Cal moved the ball against USC. They turned it over a bunch, but they moved the ball. They got nothing against Washington. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, yeah. All right, NC State on Thursday night got that uh, got that W against Louisville. You think that uh, when they when they host Clemson on November fourth, do you think they will have a shot at the ACC Atlantic in that game? Uh, well, I'll put it this way: I think they'll have a loss on their schedule by then. Mm-hmm. Um, only because this is like, I guess maybe they got their sort of inexplicable inexplicable loss out of the way early with the loss to South Carolina, but I still just feel like. NC State is good. I mean, well, they got Notre Dame. They've, I mean, I don't think they'll lose to Pitt. I don't think Pitt is good enough to beat them. But I think they'll probably lose to Notre Dame at Notre Dame. They'll lose to Clemson, I think, still. Though that's, as you mentioned, like that's going to be an interesting spot there. And then at at BC, at Wake. Hey, Wake's legit. Like we've sort of joked about it. But now that's two straight weeks now where Wake's played Clemson and Florida State. And it's not like in the past, like when Wake is, is in those games, it's like, oh, like you're holding your breath every play. Like don't turn it over or, or can they get a stop here or just can they find a turnover somewhere? They're Fearless. Just, like, they they Fearless, can line dude. up and play with yeah, those teams. Yeah, for sure. Which is sort of weird to watch, but that's, that's where we're at with Wake. So I do think Wake is capable of beating NC State now. Um I think NC State's the real deal, and they're playing really well on offense, and they're not turning the ball over. But um, I still think that, you know, I still think Notre Dame, Clemson are better. 
beating Pitt would be the big one. Like, and I know that seems weird, but noon kickoff at Pitt when you're coming off this incredible high, knowing that it's so bad this year, bro, telling you, (laughs) I mean, they hadn't beaten a good team yet. They brought the, they brought the fight against Syracuse. (laughs) <laughs> that was a heartbreaking. Did you see the, the way that uh, that one played out on the spread? No, I didn't. What happened? Fourth down, uh, maybe fourth and goal. I think at the six, time running out. Syracuse is up by three. Kick the field goal as a cover, and uh, they go for the touchdown turnover on downs. Win by three, no cover. So they went for the... Um... Like let's they put went, this yeah they went they went for the like let's put this uh, make this a two score gameplay. Oh, I got you. Oh, that's brutal. It's all right. I still like it. I still uh, still still like Syracuse. Yeah. Did you were, were you so you were you on Syracuse? It was one of my locks. Yee, that is oh that's god that's brutal. Sorry. By the way, our our Miami Florida State lock fight. Uh, I think we can both safely agree that neither of us should have put it as a lock <laughs> like, like i was sitting there like at the end of the game i was like i got it yeah i got my win but i mean let's be honest like that it, it, that was just a flip of the coin like those are two really evenly matched teams one team was going to win by four the other team was going to lose by four like it was just and miami made the play last like uh that was a fun that was a fun battle to watch and you know with a, a couple a couple lock lock uh, a lock back and forth there late in the game it was fun classic lock fight i was i, I was having uh miami florida state almost play by play relayed into my ear as we are wrapping up the uh the top 25 scoreboard and trying to like <laughs> line up gary and all, all i i mean you know I'm sitting there trying to have my brain in three different places, and it's like one of those diagrams of the brain, like how much is being used. I got to tell you, most of it was probably on my locks. Maxed it out. (laughs) It's like, all right, come up with some questions to ask Gary. Okay, we got to start talking about these top 25 games. Everybody, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Is it a touchdown or not? Is it a touchdown or not? That was was fun to watch, man. Man, if if there's – if there's going to be a lock fight, that's the way a lock fight's supposed to go down right there. 100%. All right. He is Barton Simmons. Make sure you follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Make sure you subscribe to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast because subscribers get them first. Barton, thank you very much. Sure.